KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. It's just a good conversation with somebody that you didn't know you were interested in. I'm Matt Leon, and this is One on One. It is a grind. I think it is 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. You're trying to figure out you know, how to uh, continue to support our student-athletes and give them the best student-athletes experience we can on our college campus. And, uh, you know, I think we're getting to a better place, but the landscape, like we said, is changing and it's evolving. And, and how do we continue to separate ourselves at the university to be able to give our guys that experience? And our guest this week in studio, University of Delaware head men's basketball coach Martin Inglesby. Coach, thanks so much for stopping by. Matt, I appreciate it. It's great to be uh, in the city and here with you today. So let's talk a little bit about, as we're recording this, it will come out mid-July, we're recording end of June. What's this time of year like for you? Are you? Is it all in on recruiting? A little bit, yeah. I mean, we actually have a camp going on on uh, our campus right now, so we have about 75 uh, kids, 8-year-olds through 17-year-olds on campus. A couple of our players are working that right now. We had the last two weekends were high school recruiting weekends. I was in Philly at Jefferson University being able to get out and see some of the uh, young prospects in the area. And then a little bit of a quiet time heading into the 4th of July, and then July really picks up. Uh, we get on the road quite a bit uh, to get out there to recruit. You mentioned a little bit of a quiet time. What is the <laughs> time that is the most downtime you enjoy during the calendar year? When would it be? Yeah, I would say it's probably early part of June. We send our guys home for the first part of summer school, so they don't come back until July 5th. And then once they get out of summer two, which is around the second week in August, we have a little bit of a break before the fall semester starts up. So those are the times that myself and our staff try to target to be able to get on vacation, get away for a little bit and enjoy some quiet time, if, if there is such a thing. <laughs> I'm curious. You're coming off a season where you guys won a title, won the conference title. You go to the NCAA tournament. There was so much excitement. How does the offseason hit differently when you're coming off a year like that as opposed to a year when you're kind of still chasing that championship goal. Yeah, I mean, we really wanted to enjoy it. Huh? That's what I told our team, our program, our university, uh, to really embrace the success that we had. Obviously, it was a whirlwind two weeks for us once we won the CA championship till we play in the NCAA tournament against a great, great Villanova basketball team. But, you know, how do we capitalize on that success and that momentum and you know, we had to target from a recruiting standpoint what we needed in the transfer portal. You know, the landscape of college basketball ha- has drastically changed over the last five years, uh, really since, you know, from when I played each year, there's new stuff being thrown at us. Uh, and we had to try to keep our team, retain our, our players so guys didn't put their name in the portal. Uh, we were unfortunately, you know, lost one of our guys to Wake Forest, but then what we needed to add to our roster, and we added three really good transfers that we're excited about, Um, and then just getting back to work. We needed to give our guys some time off after the season, but then, you know, being able to get back to work with the group that we had and and really try to celebrate the season. You mentioned the transfer portal. People that only follow this casually, like, it has changed, like, the landscape of everything. How has it changed how you have to approach things from a coaching slash recruiting standpoint. Yeah, I mean, I I always say, like I tell our staff, it's a little bit of a necessary evil for what we're doing nowadays. Uh, We've lost some really, really, really good players to the transfer portal. 
but we've also been able to capitalize on, on adding some really good additions in the portal. It's changed because kids don't have to sit out anymore. You know, that was a little bit of a deterrent for a student athlete to maybe go somewhere else, go to a higher level. But do I really want to waste a year? Do I want really want to sit out? And now it's kind of open season. Kids can come and go as they please. Um, you know, I think the NCAA really pushed for uniformity across all sports that they're going to give everybody a one-time transfer exception. So it's something that we monitor. I do think you see programs, high major programs, really changing their strategy from a recruiting standpoint. They're not maybe taking as many high school kids knowing that this pool of student athletes is going to be available come March and April. And when you look at the numbers, I mean, it's staggering. You know, the last couple of years, 1,500, 1,800 student athletes that have left one school and gone to another. So trying to evaluate that, what it means for us here at Delaware. Again, we've been able to benefit some really good ones and and it's not going away. So this is kind of the new normal. We got to be able to figure out and adapt to it uh, to be able to continue to succeed. I mean, you're preparing for your seventh season seventh, as head yep, coach at Delaware. Yep. And between the transfer portal and name image likeness, the job's completely different than it was when you got the job, right? It is. And, you know, I saw Jay Wright a couple of weeks ago. I'm like, yeah, he might be smarter than all of us getting <laughs> out as this thing is changing. Um, and, and, you know, again, I, and it is what it is. We got to try to figure it out. I do think there's a lot of positives coming out of this for our student athletes to be able to capitalize on name, image, likeness. We're still trying to figure out what it means for us at the University of Delaware, but we're learning a lot. We're trying to educate our people, our student athletes. I think it's a great opportunity for our guys to be able to make some money, uh, just like every other individual uh, at a college campus is able to do. And, and maybe it's spread, spreading the wealth a little bit across college athletics. Um, so it is an inter- interesting time. You know, we got our antennas up and trying to figure out how we can continue to gain an advantage at the University of Delaware. Do you think it helps that you were not a head coach for 20 years? Because I think guys have been doing it a long time. And they've done it one way, and I don't mean even like mm. resistant to change, yeah. but it's such a different landscape. Does the fact that this has kind of happened in your first several years as a head coach make it easier because you don't have the the muscle memory of 15 years of the previous well, landscape? Probably. I mean, I think I'm young in the game when you think about college coaches and the profession, and and you know, I. I started as a graduate assistant, then I went to a director of basketball operations, then I went to an assistant coach, and then, you know, going into my seventh year as a Division One basketball coach, I feel like each time I've learning more, and the profession has changed so much. You know, I think people said five years ago this was coming. Who knew when it was actually going to come? But it is a grind. I think it is 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. You're trying to figure out you know, how to uh, continue to support our student-athletes and give them the best student-athletes experience we can on our college campus. And, uh, you know, I think we're getting to a better place, but the landscape, like we said, is changing and it's evolving. And and how do we continue to separate ourselves at the university to be able to give our guys that experience? So um, I'm excited about it. I'm trying to learn every day how we can capitalize on it at our place. We have great support within our athletic department to give us, you know, a lot of information and, and see what it means for us. Mentioned earlier the NCAA tournament appearance. You guys play Villanova. How long after all the dust settled did you take the deep breath and the really let what you guys accomplished kind of wash over you and kind of register? Because I, like you said, from winning the conference tournament, mm-hmm. it's so much logistics, it's so much media, it's so much yeah. moving the pieces around, and and then it's prep. You know, 
How long did it take before you took that deep breath? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say maybe like around Easter, you know, when I really kind of stepped back and was able to reflect on, like, the year that we had. And we had great expectations going into the season. We were picked first in our conference, but we dealt with a lot of adversity with some injuries, some other stuff that was going on, uh, you know, with guys. And, you know, we just had to figure it out at the right time. And we were able to persevere through some ups and downs of the season and kind of reinvent ourselves when Dylan Painter went out with an injury kind of midway through the season, uh, a couple other injuries, but we were able to play our best basketball at the right time. And I kept telling our guys, you know, I think we believe that we're the best team in the league. Like we got to play like that in DC and we were able to just get one win against Drexel. And it's amazing what the confidence of our team can do after a big win like that. And, and we had a great vibe about us. And then we were on an unbelievable run. We were on an unbelievable high for two weeks. And, and I look back on it and I was exhausted, you know, playing Villanova, you know, Jay, I think about doing that like three weeks in a row and the media request and his is 10 times more than mine was uh, at the university of Delaware. And, um, but I just thought afterwards I was able to step back and reflect and really appreciate, you know, the, the grind that we went through and to be able to capitalize and get it done. And that is something that I envisioned for our team uh, when I took over the program, you know, six years ago. You talked about how you guys had to reinvent yourself. I'm curious, overall, how long into a season does it take before you feel like you have a good grasp of what you have? Because I think you have in your head what you recruited yeah. kids for, what you brought kids in for, what they could be. But how long into a season before you can really say, all right, this is our ceiling. This is what we're capable of. Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I mean, I think each year is a little different based on, um, you know, the experience that you have on your roster. Um, I always feel I hope by the end of non-conference play, I have a really good idea of who we are. Um, And then you get into conference play, and it's a whole new season. You know, these are the teams in our league. You play everybody twice, home and away. We play 18 conference games. So as you get into it, you get a better feel week by week, kind of who we are and what's our identity. And then being able to, you know, pivot and adapt based on, you know, some tough weeks, some injuries. Um, So I don't know if it's like one time throughout the season. You know, I learned uh, from Coach Bray how to, how to the best way to pace a team through a season, and how do you continue to evolve and grow through some ups and downs. And our our theme and motto has always been like together. We're in this together. Uh, we're going to win together. We lose together. We fight together. And I think each week you're trying to trying to put the best team on the floor to help you win a game. And um, you know the way we play. It's a little bit unpredictable movement. Unselfishness is not as much like set, set, set. So that takes time. But I think for us to be able to play that way, we got to practice that way every day. And we get to a point where like, okay, our guys start thinking like coach and it starts to see a cohesive group and that chemistry come together. And that's when I kind of step back and I kind of let it naturally happen. So uh, I feel maybe as you get to like, you know, the, the first couple of weeks in conference play, you get a good sense of who we are. You enjoy practice or games more? Because I, so when I started asking people this question, I was surprised how many coaches said practice. Yeah, I mean, I love practice. I love to teach. You know, I, I think helping a group get better individually and collectively is something that I absolutely love and the strategy that goes into it on a daily basis. But I'm a competitor. I love being able to compete. I love when there's something on the end, you know, a win or a loss uh, as a result of competition. So that is what I enjoy. I, I love the competition and be a part of it and be in that moment and trying to find ways to put our best team out there to uh, to win. So let's talk a little bit about your origin story. What's your earliest basketball memory? Whew. Um, 
you know, probably just my, I grew, I was born in um, media. We lived in Westchester, and I just remember being in the driveway with my dad with a basketball in my hand. I mean, my dad's background played at Cardinal O'Hara, played at Villanova, went on to play a couple years in the NBA. And ever since I can remember, I, I was always around the game of basketball. Um, and probably as I got a little older, just going to Villanova basketball games with him. I'll never forget leaving my house in Berwyn. We went to the Radnor Hotel. We took yellow school buses. They dropped us off at the pavilion and went to watch Villanova basketball games when I was younger. And I think that was, you know, something I cherished with my dad as an alum, but um, really got me into the game of basketball. And I've just always been around it. And it's interesting. You mentioned that started Villanova, played in the NBA. Did you appreciate like how rare that was or was it's just dad and that's, you know, doesn't everybody's dad have a professional <laughs> sports background? I think I did it, the, you know, when I was younger, but then when we go to the games and I'd see his name and, and, and a number honored in the rafters, I was like, oh, I guess my dad was pretty good. And he always grew up in his shadow and it gets to a point where you were Tom Inglesby's son. And then as I started to get a little bit of name for myself at Archbishop Carroll, you know. He became Martin Inglesby's dad, and I like that. And now I joke with people like, we all live in my brother's world who wrote Mayor of Easttown. And you're like, you're Brad Inglesby's brother. You're Brad Inglesby's dad. But, you know, I, I guess I got a little older and a little more seasoned. I was like, oh, I guess dad was a pretty good basketball player. And in our basement growing up, we had pictures of, you know, the Palestra, Big Five games, you know, his Atlanta Hawks jersey down there. And I think as a young guy, I probably put it on and, you know, ran around the, the basement and shot hoops with my brothers down there. So... It was fun. You mentioned, you know, when you started to get some attention. Do you remember when you started to get the feeling like you were pretty good at basketball and you were maybe getting a little more attention than your buddies and, you know, you getting picked for things and coaches started calling? Did it become tangible to a certain A little moment? bit. I mean, I, you know, back then, like, AAU was not what it is now. You know, a lot of the stuff that we did, you played CYO basketball, you played with your high school basketball team, you went to a team camp, maybe you do like a five-star basketball camp. I went down to Princeton basketball camp with my buddies uh, down there. But as I got into high school, I think you started to, you know, make a name for yourself. There are some of these scouting services that are out there that are identifying top talents on the East Coast. And you started to get invited to some all-star games. And then I was like, okay, you know, uh, my dad was always one. If you want to be at it, good at anything, you got to work really hard at it. And he was always trying to push us to get out there and perfect our craft and, and put in the hours and you know, I think I was not the player uh, I turned out to be without him and his guidance and him pushing me every day to 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 want to do it. Um, but I think as I got into early stages of high school, you thought like, okay, I have a chance to maybe be Division One basketball. I didn't know what it would look like for me, and kept having success, and, and then had some opportunities to do it uh, at the college level. And your dad was your coach at Carroll, he was, right? Yep. Yep. What so, was that? dynamic like uh it was unique um you know i grew up going to public school uh out on the main line i would have went to conestoga high school i'll never forget the day he came home and said you know i have an opportunity to be the head basketball coach at archbishop carroll and i was like oh that's great well i'm not going there but <laughs> you can go coach there and then after a little while uh, it was like no i'm going to coach there and, and you're going to come and it actually turned out to be the best basketball decision uh, for me, and he was always my coach. You know, he doesn't know anything about soccer. He was my soccer coach. He doesn't know anything about baseball, but he's a competitive 
SOB at times, and, <laughs> and he would just, he'd want to win and find ways to win and trying to get the best talent to help our team win. And, and again, Kim comes back to just like your capacity to work and what's your work ethic and anything you're going to do, you're going to have to put that blood, sweat and tears in. And, you know, there was, um, there was some hard days there was some tough days. Uh, there were some days when we came home and we'd have food on the kitchen table and I, I wouldn't even look at him. I wouldn't want to talk to him after practice. He coached our team through me at times. I was like, dad, I, I was the best player, but I didn't do anything wrong. But you know, he wanted to be able to not single me out and not, you know, I wasn't a favorite. He was going to coach me just like everybody else. And I, and I reflect on those times all the time. And I'm just thankful for him believing in me as a basketball player and, and getting me to the point where, um, you know, I had opportunities to play at the college level. And, and it was hard. It was tough. It was difficult. But uh, I wouldn't be the player I was without his guidance and support and, and him challenging me on every day. And you mentioned coaching the team through you. Did you hit a point where, you, where it clicked with you what was going on? Because I know I wouldn't have been self-aware enough at that age to, <laughs> yeah. to get it. But did you start to kind of get what was the dynamic? I did, and it was a challenge because a lot of the guys he was trying to coach were all my buddies. You know what I mean? Some of those kids were Division three basketball players that went on to play at Catholic University. Some of the kids didn't even play basketball in college. But you know, he wanted to be able to communicate to our team through me. And at times, uh, I didn't probably do a good enough job that I needed to do because I was more of a lead by example guy than being a yeller and screamer and, and more vocal. And I think he helped me continue to get confident, being able to control a huddle, to be able to talk to our team. And, um, you know, I, I probably got better as that as I, I got older in, in my high school career. And by senior year, it was more of like I was I was running the team. You know, we were calling the plays. He was letting us go do our thing. But practices, I mean, practices were harder than the games. And I'll never forget that. And I tried to instill that in our teams at Delaware and think back to what we did at the high school level and how my dad kind of coached our team and managed our group. And uh, I think it's really helped prepare me for, you know, running my own team. What are your favorite Carol memories. I mean, aside from spending the time with your dad, but like just from a a team standpoint, when you think back, what comes flooding back? Yeah, I mean, winning the Catholic championship in 95, uh, it's the only time that they've won a title. Uh, We're going to honor our team in December this year, uh, try to get as many guys back to be able to celebrate that season. And and just the relationships that I've I've, uh, been able to develop. I mean, those guys are all my teams and my best friends to this day. And we talk about the experience we've had at Carroll, some of the fun memories we had from traveling down to Roman and Newman and some of the games we played in the past. And, you know, the, the fraternity of basketball in the city of Philadelphia is second to none. And I'll run into guys all the time. That, hey, I remember watching you play in the Catholic Championship in this year against Donnie Carr. I was just with Donnie Carr the other day down in D.C. We're reminiscing about the battles we had at the Palestra in the championship game my junior and senior year. And, you know, but I think just to be able to win a title. First time in school history to be able to hang a banner, cut down nets is something that I always remember. Go to Notre Dame. Tell me about the decision to mm-hmm. to go there. Were there other schools that were close, and what put Notre Dame over the finish? Yeah, there line? were. I came down to Notre Dame in Princeton, uh, so I grew up uh, going to Princeton basketball camp, like I said. And at the time, Pete Carrill was the head coach. Um, Bill Carmody was an assistant. Joe Scott was on the staff, so I had developed a really good relationship with them when I was going to their camps in the summer. 
Uh, I'm the oldest of five kids, two boys, two girls. So it was maybe the Princeton tuition versus getting a scholarship to go go to Notre Dame. And, you know, both great options. I just kind of fell in love with Notre Dame and, and the opportunity out there. I was a Catholic school kid growing up. My dad, every Saturday, we managed to build our day around when Notre Dame football was playing. So always had a great affinity for that place and just fortunate to be able to get a scholarship there. It was a unique experience. I played for three coaches in four years, John McLeod for two years. And Fran McCaffrey was really the guy that recruited recruited me to Notre Dame. He's the head coach at Iowa now. I developed a great relationship with him, uh, but played for three coaches in four years while, that, while I was out there from a basketball standpoint. So that was a little interesting dynamic. And you started right away and mm-hmm. you're running the point, you're distributing. How tough is that as a freshman? And aside, well, you know, we can break down the different yeah. coaching styles and philosophies and stuff like that. <laughs> but to to step in as a freshman and have that kind of responsibility, what was that like? Yeah, it was challenging. I mean, that was one of the reasons that I did go to Notre Dame because I knew there would be an opportunity for, for me to play uh, from day one, whether it was start or to be able to contribute off the bench. And, um, you know, I thank Coach McLeod and the coaching staff for really believing in me and investing me as, as a young six-foot point guard in the Big East. I mean, we were just turning the corner. Uh, in the Big East, uh, Coach McLeod and Coach McCaffrey didn't get a chance to stay to be able to capitalize on, on the progress we were making. But those classes, my incoming class the year after that, really kind of turned the corner for Notre Dame basketball. But, you know, it, there was some tough days. There was some, some, some really, really good talent in the Big East back then. I was fortunate that Allen Iverson had left Georgetown at the time that I didn't have to play against him uh, growing up. I think he was a year or two ahead of me when he got drafted by the Sixers. But it was a great experience and some unbelievable memories. And uh, I had a really good freshman year statistically. You know, we were about 500. Then I had a tough injury, ankle injury my sophomore year. And yeah, we didn't figure it out like we thought we would and make progress. And then they made a coaching change. And then we had Matt Darty come in and then Mike Bray came in the following year. So, but again, looking back on the freshman year, you know, I, I feel like I really got better as a basketball player and understood what it takes to be successful at that level. So then how much of a challenge three coaches in four years from philosophy, from game planning, from what they want you to do from your position? Mm-hmm. Are we going wildly <laughs> pendulum swinging or... Are they all in kind of the same neighborhood where it's just maybe a different in tweak or a different in maybe the, the the pace and stuff like that? Yeah, all different. All different approaches. I mean, John McLeod came from the NBA. He had a very professional approach, uh, style of play, a little deliberate. Uh, we played man-to-man, um, and the personality was not as maybe energetic or engaging on a daily basis, but an unbelievable teacher of the basketball game the game of basketball. And then Matt Darty came in and he was totally opposite. Like the polar opposite of John McLeod, a young fiery assistant came from Kansas. The practices were intense and, and a lot of yelling and screaming and trying to get our groups to play hard and compete. And, uh, you know, we made some progress that year and then he left to go to North Carolina to replace Bill Guthridge. And then Mike, I think was kind of just right in the middle, like right in the sweet spot of what we needed, a player's coach. He gave us freedom. He held us accountable, but we loved playing for him. And we were able to get over the hump and get to the NCAA tournament that year, my senior year. So, you know, to be able to put Notre Dame basketball back on the map was something that I'm a big supporter of and, and obviously proud to be a part of that uh, to be able to get us back into the big dance and celebrate that season with our group. And then kind of the rest is history from w- what they've been able to do there since then. So uh, we hadn't gone to the NCAA tournament in nine years, I think, at the time. So to be able to get us back in the big dance was was a big moment for us. 
how long with each coaching change did it take you to feel comfortable? Not personality, but just like with what was expected of you. Is it was it like three freshman years in a way? Basically, yeah. I mean, you're learning different personalities, different styles of uh, of play, different styles of communication. We didn't have cell phones back in the day. <laughs> it was crazy to think about. Like we communicated with a dorm phone and maybe email, or you just kind of showed up. Nowadays, you're hitting your guys all the time with uh, you know text or calls or. Stuff on Insta, whatever it is. But, um, you know, I think the first couple of weeks, you kind of get a feel for what it's going to be like and, and the personalities of a coaching staff and a program. And, you know, it just comes back to just communication and developing relationships with those guys. So um, I think Mike, it was maybe the easiest with Coach Bray, just based on his personality and his ability to connect with people. Um, and that is something that I really tried to, to do with our current team and, and our guys we've had in our program. You scored a lot of points in high school. You scored in college, but not at the mm-hmm. the same clip. Was that difficult to, you know, you've always been a facilitator, but mm-hmm. they don't need me to score. Mm-hmm. For a lot of kids, that's what it's all about. Yeah. And Or was that, was that easy? Hey, whatever the team needs, this is what they think my strength is, and this is how I fit into the puzzle. Yeah, I mean, I was always one of those guys that just wanted to, like, help my teammates have success, and I love being able to distribute the basketball, and I was one of those guys that I'd rather have 15 assists than 20 points. Now, in high school, we need, I, my dad needed me to score and be aggressive, and I, there's a great story that, we, you know, I was, I think, one and two in the scoring title in the Catholic League, and for some reason, my dad really wanted me to win the scoring title, and I was like, I could care less about the scoring title, and we were playing Playing, I think Cardinal O'Hara, where he went to high school, and if I got a certain amount of points, I would like clearly be number one in the league in scoring. And I had 30 points at the end of the third quarter, right? And we're winning big. And he put me back in the fourth quarter. And I'm like, I'm not shooting the basketball. Like, I refused. He wanted me to get even more of a cushion to get to like 19 points a game. And he put me in for a couple minutes. I had like a wide open layup. I think I dribbled it out. I think I was passing it to somebody else. I'm like, I'm not going to shoot the basketball. He wasn't happy with it at the time. But like, I was always one of those guys, like a pass first, pass second, shoot third point guard. And, you know, just uh, really enjoyed, you know, distributing the basketball, making the right decisions and right reads to help our team win. When you've got that pass first, you want to be a distributor. Is it more important that you get closer to your teammates than maybe other guys have to, because there has to be a certain anticipation. There has to be a certain appreciation for what they want, where they like it. Mm. You know, what are they, what are they thinking in these sets? Do you, does, do you need to be more? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I think you have to have those relationships, but even be in sync from, you know, just the style of play standpoint and even just spacing on the floor. You know what I mean? Like, and I, I don't know, it was just maybe came natural to me to be able to see things maybe a little quicker than other people. And, and I wanted to be able to, again, share the basketball, make the right pass. And it came back to, like, you know, the fundamentals that I worked on when I was younger. You know, we talk about our team camp today or a basketball camp today, and I, I started camp off and say it's not a basketball camp. It's really like a skill development camp. We're going to work on our passing. We're going to work on our footwork. We're going to work on our shooting, our ball handling. And when I think about my progress as a basketball player, I greatly – appreciate and thankful for all the great teachers that I've had in my life at a young age to be able to help me understand the game of basketball. And I think how we try to play at the University of Delaware is unpredictable movement. You give your guys freedom, you put them in positions to be successful, but they're not robots. You're not telling them on every possession, you have to go there, you have to go there, you have to go there. You know, we're going to move, we're going to cut, we're going to be free flowing. 
And I want those guys to really use their, you know, basketball IQ and feel for the game. And I think that's as a former point guard, that has helped me kind of nurture that within our program to help guys understand like, hey, you could be pushing up the ball up the court and that guy's open. Like, you know, you got to get him the basketball, you know, because if it's one second too late, then a defender can close out on him and we don't get the advantage. Or, you know, I got to change sides of the floor to be able to throw it to a uh, a wing cutting to be able to get the ball inside and just, you know, being able to teach that, to be able to show that, to be able to watch film, uh, to be able to express that to our guys is, is something that I've really enjoyed. And I think about my experience as a player, that's what I try to do uh, with my teammates. Time for a break on one-on-one. We will have more with University of Delaware head men's basketball coach Martin Inglesby right after this. This is one-on-one. And we are back on 101. Our guest this week, University of Delaware head men's basketball coach, Martin Inglesby. Was coaching always an eventuality for you? It was just a matter of when? Like, did you realize pretty early on from your dad and from just talking to you the way you see the game yeah. that coaching was going to be in the discussion somewhere? It, I always had an interest in it. And maybe by default, you know, my dad's in the insurance business in the filiere. And I was always thought like, uh, maybe I'll go overseas and play, or maybe I'll just go work for my dad in the insurance business. And, you know, I got an opportunity talking to Coach Bray after uh, my senior year. And um, he said, why don't you just stick around at Notre Dame and like, Work in the athletic department. I was a graduate assistant uh, working in the business office for Bubba Cunningham, who's now the AD at North Carolina, just kind of helping him with day-to-day stuff. And he said, just stay around a program, come to watch practice. And then I was home for my brother's uh, graduation from Villanova the next year, and he called me up. I was down in the basement playing video games. He said, he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm playing, like, I don't know, Super Nintendo with my brother or something like that. He's like, well, hop in the car and drive to Staten Island, New York right now. And I'm like, where's that? (laughs) He's like, just hop in the car and go up 95. And Derek Wittenberg was the head coach at Wagner College. Uh, He played at the Matha with Coach Bray, and he had a GA position open for him. He's like, go. It would be great for you. You learn the profession. Back then, we only had two. They had two assistants and one GA, so I was technically the third assistant. I was able to be on the court recruiting. Uh, I lived in the dorms, and I just got a feel for the coaching profession. And I remember some of those first couple meetings, I stepped back and be like, whoa, this is not just like, let's roll the balls out. We play games. You know, it gave me a great appreciation and some opportunity to experience like what goes into running a, an elite college basketball program on a daily basis. So I think it was in my blood. Maybe I didn't know it at the time. I just kind of like, oh, let's just get into coaching. And then, you know, I've kind of enjoyed the journey and and I've gotten different experiences at different places that have prepared me to lead a program. You talk about kind of that eye opening of what goes into it. Was there any trepidation on like, did you ever have a moment of, "Ah, I don't know, it seems like a lot. And boy, there's a lot of stuff that goes on before we even start talking basketball or were you pretty much, this is where I need to be? I was excited about it, but then I'd hear all my college buddies who were in the financial world and all the money that they were making. I'm like, huh, maybe I should try to do that or go to Chicago or come home and see my buddies and stuff. My first year in the profession, I lived in the dorms at Wagner College. I made $400 a month. You know, I had a degree from the University of Notre Dame, a marketing degree. I think that would open up a lot of opportunities for me. So there's times you're like, well, that doesn't sound so bad. But then I talk to them and they'd be like, I hate my job. I love to be able to be on a college basketball staff. I love to be able to, you know, travel to the Big East tournament in New York City and do all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, Coach Bray really, uh, he believed in me. He invested in me. He gave me a lot of responsibility from from day one. And, and you know, again, I, I just greatly appreciate that. And I love what I do. You know, if you love going to work Every day with the people, you know, that, that you love working with, I didn't feel like it was a job. It was just something that I was passionate about. And, 
Uh, I feel like each year I got better and, and grew as a coach and a leader. And so it was a fun ride. And you guys went to the NCAA tournament that year at Wagner, didn't you? We did. Yeah. We played Pittsburgh. <laughs> That's a great. Yeah, we did. We had a great, and that's how it was an enjoyable season to be a part of. We had a really, really good team. Uh, first time in history of uh, Wagner basketball that they went to the NCAA tournament. So we had a good run. Uh, we won the regular season championship. We hosted the conference championship. We beat, uh, I think we beat St. Francis Brooklyn in the championship to go to the NCAA tournament. So I got an opportunity to go back to Notre Dame after that year. And two or three days later, Derek Wittenberg got the head coaching job at Fordham. And he was trying to get me to come over there as an assistant coach. But then I went back to South Bend to kind of start my journey back on the staff there with Mike. So we we did it. It made it more enjoyable that we had a good team that year. So you go back to Notre Dame and you mentioned you're doing basketball ops and stuff like that. And you want to talk about learning how the sausage is made. (laughs) I mean, that's the job where you're booking Mm -hmm. flights, booking hotels, making sure the caterers are showing up for the meal. And it is thankless. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. the the proportion of how many things you have to do right that everybody (laughs) takes for granted. And the one mistake that everybody (laughs) complains about is through the roof. (laughs) No, it is. It is. Got to keep a lot of people happy. Uh, I felt like I was like the jack of all trades, just running running the operation behind the scenes. And as I got more comfortable in that role, you take a lot of a lot off of Coach Bray's plates because you can execute, and make decisions for him, and think for him. Which uh, I thought each year I got a little better at. But you know, it's compliance, it's academics, it's camps, it's travel, it's it's a bunch of things. And I feel like in my sixth year and going into my seventh year, I still have my operations hat on every day. So trying to think uh, like an operations guy to make sure we're putting our team and our program in the best position to be successful. But it was a grind, no, no doubt about it. It was a grind. But, you know, Coach Bray just said, he threw, threw me to the fire and said, figure it out. Use your experience. You got a Notre Dame degree. You're a smart dude. You can figure it out. <laughs> but it was a lot of fun. You know, met great people out there, great relationships, guys that are still, still, still some of my best friends to this day. That skill set is invaluable when you're a head coach, becoming a head coach. And I was in the ops role for six years. You know, in probably year three or four, you know, most people would try to take an assistant coaching job to be able to leave Notre Dame. And I had some opportunities. You know, assistants had left. They took head coaching jobs. But I just loved what I was doing. I loved the people I was working with. I felt like I was growing in the profession. And I just wanted to make sure I was making the right moves. And coach always said, hey, if there's an opening down the road, you're going to have an opportunity to get bumped up to an assistant. So I didn't feel like I needed to leave to come back. And after my six year, Sean Carney left to be the head coach at Holy Cross. I was able to get bumped up to be an assistant coach and had a great seven-year run there on his staff. Um, and that was fortunate, you know, we talked so much about the Delaware job and his experience at the University of Delaware in the late 90s. And he just, and I kept saying, like, if that job ever opened, like, coach, you got to help me get it. You got to help me get it. I want to get back to the East Coast. I was ready to be a head coach. And, you know, I, I was fortunate to get it, you know, six years ago, going on seven. And, and Chrissy believing in me and the program. And, you know, we, we came in and I'm proud of what we've been able to build each year. When you're in coaching, assistant or head coach, how long did it take you? to be comfortable with the limits of what you can do. You can take a kid, you can drill him, you can show him film, you can discuss it, you can Mm -hmm. break it out. Right. He's got to do it. Yeah. And I've talked to a lot of coaches where that was difficult because they were just, when they were really good players, just do it. It's how it works. Why aren't you doing it? Was that something you had to deal with as a, a young coach, kind of learning those limits? It really is, and it's a great, it's a great uh, case study, if you say, if you will, because I remember going to Wagner College and, and being out on the court 
with uh, one of our kids from France and Coach Wittenberg. Oh, just go put them through a workout. And I was like, well, I was the one that was doing the work. Like, I'm working out. I don't know how to train anybody. And, and I feel like maybe by like the third or fourth year of me being an assistant coach, I was comfortable in who I was and my presence as a coach, as a communicator, to be able to get the best out of our student athletes. I was not maybe as comfortable being the head coach when I first got to Delaware. It, it's all eyes on you, and it's your voice. And there are days where I'd step back and be like, whoa, what, what did I get myself into? Am I doing the right thing? Am I making the right decisions? Am I communicating the right way with our guys? And I think the more you practice it, the more experience you get doing it, you get more comfortable. But I would say like I was getting into my sweet spot at Notre Dame and maybe like the fourth or fifth year and being really comfortable on the court with our guys and getting the best out of them and challenging them every day and then giving them the tools they needed to be successful. You've been to the NCAA tournament as a player, as an assistant, and as a head coach. Mm. How do they hit differently? <laughs> I love being a player. You know, I would do anything to be able to go back and, and put a jersey on and be able to com- compete and being a part of a team. You know, there's nothing greater in life than being a part of a team. I think ever since I can remember, I've been a part of a team. And, you know, the experience as you share with different individuals, that is something that I love. I always reflect on my experience in high school and college, putting on that jersey and being able to go out there and, and help a team compete and, and being a part of something bigger than yourself. I would say winning it as a head coach is number two. And then as an assistant, I experienced it a lot at Notre Dame as an assistant coach. But to be able to to take our program from where it was six years ago, we had won six or seven games the previous year. And to be able to get them to the tournament, it's something that I'm really proud of. I give credit to our administration, to our coaching staff, to our players for all the hard work that they put in to be able to get there. And it's been really rewarding for me and our and our program to be able to get our pro, get this team back to the NCAA tournament and, and to su- celebrate the year and see the excitement around campus. That's something Coach Bray talked about all the time. They went back-to-back years in the late 90s, and he said, like, campus just – energized and and the community just really rallied around their team and the university. So to see that this year was really rewarding for us. You talk about talking with Coach Bray if that Delaware job ever opens, you gotta help me. During your time as an assistant and you're there from oh three to sixteen. Yeah, thirteen years. Yep. Was there a point even before that where you started to think like, I feel like I am ready mm-hmm. to take over a program? Like I think everybody dreams about it, gets into coaching and you're always thinking about right. it, but I think there's probably an internal discussion of there's the dream and then there's the, I'm ready to handle this now. Mm. Do you remember having those I, thoughts? I, I do. And and I had a couple opportunities in my first, probably one, my second and third year to interview for some jobs. And I went through the process. I didn't get those jobs. Thankfully, I didn't get those jobs because I don't think I would have been ready or prepared to be able to do that. I think I needed more experience at the Division One level as an assistant coach from a recruiting standpoint, from a coaching standpoint, just from a program standpoint. But I think going into my fifth year at Notre Dame, I say as I look back on it, really the two year, the year before we went to back-to-back Elite Eights, I think I was ready. Uh, Mike had given me a lot of responsibility and continued to invest in me, and I just thought it, it could be time if, if a good one opens. I interviewed for, I think, seven or eight jobs throughout my seven-year tenure at Notre Dame and, and had a chance to – one or two jobs get offered to you. Just maybe it wasn't the right time. wasn't the right time for my family. Um, and then, you know, the year I got the Delaware job, I actually turned down the Stony Brook job because the Delaware job was open and I was willing to wait because that was my dream job uh, to get back to the East Coast. I just thought it had everything that I was looking for in a head coaching opportunity. So I waited. I waited. I went through the process. There was times where I just thought I had no chance to get the job. Really, probably 
24 hours before Chrissy offered me the job. I came into Philly with my wife, Colleen, and I was like, hey, we're just going to go for it. You know, we're, I'm, I'm, I'm not getting this job, but, you know, we'll see what happens. Maybe it's a good experience. Worst case, we're going back to Notre Dame and we're back there. We got a good team coming back. And I was fortunate to get the job. I remember being at the hotel, calling Coach Bray. I said, Coach, like, I just got this job. And he was so excited. And he said, he's like, man, did you play your cards right? He said, you and Colleen need to go down to Atlantic City right now, <laughs> put some money on the roulette table or blackjack, and because you handled it the right way. And I just think maybe, you know, looking back on it, you know, the fifth or sixth year of the experience there prepared me to be able to take that next step. I'm curious because we hear job interviews, and I think we all – that aren't in coaching have these, uh, well, you report to HR and then you talk to the, are all coaching interviews. Now I don't want to give any state mm-hmm. secrets or anything, but are they all pretty much the same? Are you going up and talking or is it wildly varied depending upon the institution? You know, in my experience, it's wildly varied. You know, I think there's probably like a first stage, second stage process that people go through, like phone interviews. Um, they're challenging, you know, the hard to really sell yourself. I had one of my phone interviews with the, a really good school was, all right, here's the uh, search committees on the phone. We're going to ask you questions. You can talk as long as you want, but once you're done speaking, we're going to ask you another question. So, like, there was no interaction. That was really hard to get a sense of, like, the room, uh, the conversation. And then other ones are, you know, pretty laid back. They ask you questions. You get to campus in a boardroom or a conference room or whatever. So I I think – they're probably unique to each school. Some people follow a certain process. Some people do a little differently. Some people are so quiet and secretive of it. You you know, you can't even go through certain buildings. You're going into back doors of certain places so nobody sees who the candidates are. And I've been on the other side of it now, you know, to be able to see some of the interview uh, that we've had at the university for certain positions, for assistant coaching positions. I'm going through an assistant coaching search right now, which has been a unique process for me because I haven't had any turnover on my staff in our first six years. Uh, it's been rewarding. It's it's been good. It's been grinding. I dragged my feet on it, but we're getting to a good place. Um, and Chrissy, our athletic director, has really kind of, you know, set it in place for me to kind of the process that I should go through to guide us to the best candidate for us. We need to take another break. We will have more with University of Delaware men's basketball coach Martin Inglesby right after this. This is one on one. Martin Inglesby is our guest this week on one on one. He's the head men's basketball coach at the University of Delaware. So you get the Delaware job, you take over. Was it overwhelming at first? Did it all make sense? Like, where were you? Yeah, it was overwhelming. Uh, it was probably a whirlwind couple weeks for me once I got the job. We went down to Philly, you did all the press stuff, and then all of a sudden everybody leaves. You're the head coach at the University of Delaware. I look around like, all right, what are we supposed to do now? And I just really reflected on, like, how we ran our stuff at Notre Dame. Um, kind of a blueprint, kind of build it from the ground up. I really leaned on our athletic director to kind of help me through that process. And for me, it was hiring a coaching staff. And I had an idea going through the process who I was going to hire and just really trying to connect with our players and being able to get on the court with them. And it wasn't about developing a culture and these visions. So I was like, let's just get on the court and play basketball. Um, and I told him three things when I got there. I said, Things are going to be different. Things are going to be harder, but we're going to have a heck of a lot of fun when we do it. And um, at the time when I took over the program, we only had six scholarship players. 
So like I wasn't sure if I was going to have a Division One basketball team heading into that first year. We all I consider it year zero because it really wasn't even year one. We were well ab- well below water trying to navigate this thing, and we talked about going up to campus, the Little Bob, and having open tryouts to be able to field a basketball team because they let go of the previous coach in March. They didn't hire me till May twenty fourth. So we had two months with like no leadership, hardly any leadership in our basketball program and just trying to re-recruit our current team to make sure we had a college basketball team. And I remember going to the Fridays across the street from the Bob looking at my phone, like 300 and some text messages. And I'm like, can you pour me the tallest course light you possibly had? I'm going to sit here. I'm going to try to text some people back. I try to get below 300. Next thing you know, boom, 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 it's 350 again. And, you know, people that got a player for you, people congratulating you, people wanting to be on your coaching staff. And, you know, then it's we had three kids at the time. It's what are we going to do? We're going to put our house for sale. Where are we going to live? What schools we're going to get into? Um, Luckily for us, I was close to my parents, my family and friends that I was able to lean on them through that process. And, And I remember Coach Bryce saying, like, just catch your breath. Make sure you're eating healthy. Make sure you're getting your sleep. Make sure you're getting your workouts in and everything will be fine. You know, just just really rely on how we did things and, and your experiences as a player and, and assistant coach. Do you remember when you first felt like, okay, we're going to be okay. We, we, <laughs> we can, I can do this. We're not there yet, but I see the it, the pictures making sense. Do you remember yeah. that? I mean, I th- probably like the latter part of my first season I was always on my toes. I feel like all these on eggshells, just trying to figure out what it was going to be like, who we are. I wanted to play a certain way, but then I didn't know if I had the players to be able to do that. And I think as we got to the latter part of the season, I thought like you saw the fruits of our labor come into work where we were like, okay, we were improving as a basketball team. It wasn't necessarily about the wins and losses, but like, how do we just keep getting better on a daily basis? I remember we won our first game our in the non-conference against Goldie Beacom, and then we were traveling the next day to fly out to Bradley to play them, and we went from 1-0 and to 2-0, and and it's like, whoa, maybe we're all right. Um, but I tell people all the time the funniest story that year is, you know, the previous regime had won six games. So we're down at the end of the season, and we make an, a buzzer beater to be James Madison to get our, like, f- maybe sixth conference win, right? Our 12th overall win for the season and we're like going ecstatic we're celebrating the locker room we're going back on the bus up uh to campus and coach bray texts him he said great win and he's like shut it down don't win another game this year right next year they're gonna expect you to win 20 to 25 you know you doubled the win total from the year before he's like congratulations don't win any more games i don't think chrissy wanted to hear that but gave me some good perspective on like just building a program and i felt like getting out of that year and we had some success kind of starting to have an identity of who we wanted to be as a basketball program, kind of instilling the values uh, and the standards that how hard we needed to work. And it was an exciting time getting into an offseason to be able to get back to work and, and, and add a, our first recruiting class that summer you know, to our team. It's interesting to me because you kind of alluded to this early in our discussion, like there's nothing really like Philadelphia. <laughs> there's nothing like the, the big five and the high school connections and everything. How hard is it for Delaware to punch in because it's fascinating to go to Delaware. Everywhere is University of the Delaware. Yeah, you know, yeah. the whole state is is all in on Delaware. Is it tough to to punch into the city? And I would imagine it's easier for you because you're you've been here and you went here and you know all about it. Yeah, I mean, I think I I, I would hope that I'm considered one of them because of my experiences uh, playing in the Philadelphia Catholic League and also 
the name, the last name, and what it means to Philadelphia basketball, Big Five basketball, that I feel like I, I, I'm, I'm considered a, a Philadelphia basketball player, um, family. People respect what you did when you played here back in the day, and, and I always consider I'm a suburban Philadelphia guy, but I could, where are you from? Philly. I right. say Philly, but you know, I really grew up outside of Philly by Villanova, but I just consider myself playing in the Catholic League as one of their own. And, and the fraternity in this city is so close, and they look out for each other, and, and, and the relationships that I'd be able to develop uh, during my time as a player and even be back in the area now, I think people want to help. You know, they know what you're building at the University of Delaware. We've really targeted the Philadelphia Catholic League in this area to be able to attract some of the best basketball players to our school. And sometimes people think Delaware is like hours and hours away from the city of Philadelphia. And then they hop on 95 and they get down there and be like, oh, it's right here. It's so close. So to be able to get some of the high school programs and some of the recruits down to the area to be able to show all that we have to offer. Um, and then they know we're going to take care of them. They know we're going to look out for them. They want the best for their student athletes and their players to be able to experience our university. So we got to be strategic with who we're recruiting and the, and the, the programs that we're recruiting, but, you know, we try to, uh, you know, develop strong relationships. And, you know, Bill Phillips, one of my assistants, he played for me at Carroll. You know, he had great success at St. Joe's playing with Jameer Nelson and, and some of those great teams back then. And then Torian Jones, who played with me at Notre Dame, he's a Pensbury kid, but has great connections in the Philadelphia area. So, you know, this has obviously been a big uh, recruiting hotbed for us and want to continue to try to get some players down to the university. So you guys are the defending. Well, before I ask this question, I want to go back to the tournament. You mentioned you play Villanova and all the connections. <laughs> and we talked before you guys played the game. And I just want to dig in, like, when Villanova comes up on the line, hmm. aside from the, you know, you're facing one of the true elite programs, yeah. but just was it like, wow, like, it, was it almost surreal to see that was who the matchup was? It was. I mean, I, you know, I thought it was going to be Duke or Villanova. And I think when I saw Duke come up in Greenville against, I don't even know who they played. I'm like, oh, we're going to play. This is like made for TV. You know, we're going to play Villanova. It's great for, you know, CBS and, and you know, Jay and Villanova and Dylan Painter and then my dad and my connection to Villanova. And then, you know, there's no program in the country that me as a basketball guy and, and being that has greater respect for than what Jay has built at Villanova. They do it the right way. They have an unbelievable culture. They have great kids that represent that program. You know, he has been so good to my dad and, and welcoming him into, um, you know, that alumni base and just always reaching out and wanting to help. You know, I tell people all the time too, is my uncle Ed, who played at Villanova with my dad, he teaches at Villanova. So every year since I've been back, he invites me up to come speak at his class. It was a sport and spirituality class. I don't know what the name of it is now. And there's always Villanova basketball players in there. And I can't tell you how impressive those young men are in those classes. And I think it's a testament to Jay and what he's been able to build and the type of student athletes he's been able to attract to his program. So it was an honor to play him. We knew it was going to be a heck of a challenge. You know, we hung around for a little while. I still look at Abby Asamoah's three at the end of the first half. Like if we knock that down, we have a one point lead with about two minutes to go. We miss it. And then it's like, boom, boom, boom. We're down 10. And it kind of took our, took the spirit out of us uh, at halftime. But, um, you know, I think we held our own on a big stage and, you know, they were a heck of a tough, <laughs> heck of a tough opponent. And, you know, I feel for them with the injury because a couple of people that I talked to leading up to the game have said like Villanova is the best basketball team in the country. And if you think about Justin Moore's injury, if he doesn't get hurt, they might've been hanging another national yep. championship banner. And I firmly believe that watching them and the chemistry, the kind of the pieces that they had, it was, 
it was there for Jay to go out on an ultimate high uh, by winning a national championship. I'm curious, coming off of the conference title, the NCAA tournament appearance, is this your is this season now your biggest challenge? Because the dynamic completely changes now. You're not climbing the mountain. I mean, every season's climbing. But yeah. you're the team now that everybody in the conference is going to circle, and you're a big deal when you come to town. Everybody's going to want to beat you. How much of a challenge it, is it? It is. It's exciting. I think it's going to be even harder for our group. Um, and we lost some really good players off of last year's team. You know, we were older. We were experienced. We had fifth-year guys and six-year guys that came back to be able to, you know, compete for a championship and win a title. And, and obviously, we were able to do that. And I'm excited about the new group we have coming in. You know, we got some good incoming fresh, and we got some good returning pieces from last year's team. We have a couple good transfers. But I do think, you know, you're going to have a, a target on your back. You know, people are going to know you won a, a CA championship. You went to the NCAA tournament. They're going to get excited to be able to compete against you and, and potentially knock you off. And and I look forward next week when we get our team back together and, and trying to figure out who we are and what is our identity and, and how we need to work and how we need to play. You know, you play different ways throughout a season. You play different ways throughout a game. And we have some interchangeable parts that really, really excite me. And I look forward to trying to build this team to be a, you know, a championship caliber team like we were last year. And I'm curious, you mentioned earlier your brother – with mayor of East town and what, and how that exploded. Yeah. I'm just curious, like just talking to him, like over the years that he had this idea and it was one of those things that he would bring up and, you know, oh, it'd be cool. And then to see what it became and how it, became a cultural mm, phenomenon. What yeah. has that been like? Uh, it's been so fun to watch him and, and the success he's had. I mean, he, his background, he went to Villanova, you know, was a business major and then had a, you know, minor in creative writing and, you know, decided to get into the movie business as a screenwriter. And he kind of made his mark uh, writing movies. You know, he's got a couple movies out there like The Way Back and Run All Night and a couple other ones that he did. And then he had this idea and maybe the money's in TV. I don't know who told him that. And, and then he had this idea about this detective from Delco and, you know, Mayor and my uh, dad's sister's name's Marianne. So, like, you know, all this stuff came together. And I had no idea that it was going to be, you know, what it turned out to be in this huge hit. And my sister-in-law read the script. My mom read the script. And it gave us something to look forward to during COVID. I kind of kicked myself for not going on the set because to meet, you know, Kate Winslet and some of the other great characters in the cast um, that I didn't get a chance to get up there. And, you know, he has an unbelievable knack for, like, telling a story. I can't tell you how many times I reach out to him and be like, hey, give me a, how should I quote this? Or what should I say this? Or I'm doing this interview and he's just so good with words and, you know, he's perfected his craft. He's made a name for himself. And uh, it was really fun to be able to enjoy that ride with him because anywhere you go, like, hey, you know, we got a kid for you. By the way, I watch, I love your brother's show, Mayor of Easttown. You know, he did a great job. Please, please let him know that and stuff. So, you know, and, and for see how it um, captivated a community in Delaware County and some of the stories that he shared about, you know, Kate Winslet going to Wawa and listening to people talk and the dialect and how she perfected that and how they put it together uh, was really fun. I think he was an executive producer on the on the TV show as well. And you know, he was in California, he just moved back to the area, built a house close to my parents and he's working for HBO now and stuff. So, yeah, it, it was really fun, really rewarding and, and, and to, to see the success it had. Final question, favorite part of what you do? You know, developing young men, um, you know, taking kids that are high school kids at 17 and 18 year old. And, and by the time they leave, they've graduated from the university, you've given them the tools they need to be successful. And they become like Delaware men that they um, have the tools they need to be successful in life after uh, college and, and their experiences at the university. 
And that will do it for this week's episode. Many thanks to Martin Inglesby, head men's basketball coach at the University of Delaware, for coming in studio for this conversation. Now, if you like the show and you want to help us out, if you listen on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and a review. You can follow the show on Twitter at 101Pod. You can follow me on Twitter as well at MattLeon1060. Thanks so much for listening, and be sure to check us out again next week when we bring you another conversation with someone you should know more about.